Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arash's World. Today, we have a very special guest, Susan Survey. And um, she's uh, going to talk about a book uh, that her, her mother wrote, memoirs uh, that her mother wrote. But first of all, um, I would like you to briefly here introduce yourself, uh, what you have to say, and then, of course, uh, the author of the book you're going to talk about, your mother. Welcome Great. to Rash's World. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your uh, blog and making your viewers aware of my mom's memoir uh, of my grandfather's daring escape from Dachau concentration camp and the family's escape from Nazi Germany. Again, my name is Susan Serweis, and I am the daughter of the author of the book, Escape from Dachau. Uh, it is a true story of their survival and a daring escape from a concentration camp. Um, so I, I am the mother of three children. I am married for 50 years and I have five grandchildren. I grew up in the Midwest and I now live outside of Boston. So wonderful. that's a little bit about me. That's wonderful. So I'd, like, so I'd like to start by talking about the fact that the Jews for many millennium were very loyal and committed, a loyal and committed part of German society. They were not only doctors, lawyers, engineers, and architects, they were business leaders and merchants, and they played a critical role and were great contributors in art, music, science, and technology. They were volunteers. My grandfather was a war hero in World War I for Germany. In fact, there is a monument in Stuttgart honoring uh, World War I heroes. And my grandfather, who ended up in Dachau concentration camp, his name is on that memorial. Wow. My grandmother and her sisters uh, volunteered for the German Red Cross during that period. So they were very loyal members of German society. Um, in the early 1900s, my grandfather was a very successful manufacturer. Uh, he had a great business that used technology created by Henry Ford in the United States. Mm -hmm. And he manufactured everything from housewares to hardware, car parts, that were distributed throughout Germany and beyond. Um, he made friends wherever he went, his clients loved him. And they were very successful, they were a very happy family and they loved Germany. So in 1923, I'm gonna move forward and I'll go back and forth a little bit, but in 1923, um, Hitler tried to overthrow the German government as you probably know, and that failed and he was jailed. But he had created his own militia called the SA, otherwise known as the Brown Shirts because their uniforms were brown. And that did not disappear while he was jailed. So in 1929, when the stock market crashed, Hitler got lucky because he was able to blame the Jews, saying they caused the global crisis. And, you know, the Jewish people were always an easy scapegoat for anything that went wrong in history. In fact, in the 1200s, the Jews were expelled from Germany because they were blamed for the bubonic plague. And now, sort of, why were they blamed? And decades later, with science advancements, it was shown that the reason so few Jews got the bubonic plague is, according to Jewish law, 
They had to wash when they woke up. They had to wash before a meal. They had to wash after a meal. They had to wash before they went to bed. So science kind of proved that that is the reason why so few Jews got the bubonic plague. This but is fascinating. On, Sorry, just to like yeah. jump in. This Isn't is fascinating. That, I didn't know that. But it reminds me. Yeah, it reminds me of what's happening today as I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm thinking of the parallels we have uh, uh, around the world, especially in the United States, and also conspiracy theories. I mean, that was the ultimate conspiracy theory back then. It's like, look, what's going on? Maybe they created the virus and so on. So we exactly. see parallels today with the same way of thinking. Yeah, We sure do. Um, human nature, I guess, but that's yes. something else and that cycle. I don't want to get cycles. into. We but... do repeat cycles, which is very yeah. uh, unfortunate, yes. right? But yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> so after the stock market crash, um, Hitler's brown sh shirts were becoming a huge force. And in 1933, Hitler became chancellor and the Jews started leaving Germany because things were getting really bad. And very early on, they started leaving. My grandfather believed that this was not possible. He was a loyal German. He was a war hero. He was a successful business person. And, and even though my grandmother, her family had left, my grandfather did not. In fact, his sister, her husband, and their children were sent to Auschwitz and perished. So my grandfather did not leave at this point. In 1936, my mom was expelled from her elementary school, the public school, because no Jews were allowed to go to the public schools anymore. But at that point, America and you know others had all of these immigrants coming in and they started to close the doors um and in germany swastikas were appearing on buildings and businesses and homes and it's kind of like you said there are some places in the world that you still see that to this day and even the riots in paris mm -hmm. that are going on right now Word has it that the Jewish community is very scared uh, because a lot of that is starting to fester. So anyway, in 1938, um, they took my grandfather's business, they took his car, they took his home. Jews could no longer own property. They couldn't uh, work. Uh, the businesses were closed. And at that point, America had closed its doors to Jewish immigrants, and many Jews were desperately trying to go elsewhere, Argentina, Israel, and any other countries that were willing to take them. Um, and then, of course, November 9th, 1938, Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht uh, was when they literally burned down all of the synagogues, all of the temples, Jewish businesses, Jewish homes. And then on November 10th, um, they went into my grandparents' home and dragged my grandfather out and sent him to Dachau concentration camp. So that is the beginning of this daring, harrowing escape story to get my grandfather out. So my grandmother's first cousin, his name at the time was Emanuel Rosenfeld. He was a brilliant mathematician and a numbers guy. And he worked for um, 
Halmar Shach. Now the name Shach might be familiar because Shach was tried at the Nuremberg trials. But Shach at the time was the president of the Reich Bank, which was the largest bank in Germany, huge bank based in Berlin. And my grandmother's first cousin worked for him. When Hitler came into power, which was 1933, he uh, took, took Schach and made him his minister of economics and finance. And who did Schach bring with him at the time? First cousin, Emmanuel Rosenfeld. So but Emmanuel, did he not? Sorry, did he not know he was Jewish because he would convert at that time? This okay. is still very early, but apparently okay. he must have needed the first cousin, the mathematician, and the great right. numbers guy. He must have needed him, so he mm -hmm. brought him with him, and so um, Emmanuel Rosenfeld, the Jew, mm -hmm. actually worked for the Third Reich in the Ministry of Finance and Economics under Schach. So then um, things got worse for the Jews uh, and Emanuel Rosenfeld quit this government job and like every other Jew was terrified. They were coming after everyone and even if you converted, which Emanuel Rosenfeld did, they were looking at your grandparents, your great grandparents. If you had any Jewish blood, off you went to concentration camp. But he quit this government position and he changed his name to Max Emanuel. He even changed his religion, converted to Catholicism and basically uh, applied for a visa to immigrate to the United States. And he went into hiding in Berlin while he waited, hoping and praying that he would be one of the few that they would let in because this was very late now. Just as he received his papers and his visa to leave Germany and save himself, he gets a call from my grandmother's brother who was living in Luxembourg at the time that grandpa Adolf Mueller, unfortunately his name was Adolf, Adolf Mueller was dragged off to Dachau. So here is this cousin ready to leave for Germany and has this unbelievable decision to make. Does he save his cousin, cousin-in-law, from the clutches of not the Nazis and certain death, or does he try to rescue him? Now, keep in mind that when he left the government, he did not get rid of his German identification papers that identified him as a government official for the Third Reich. He kept those papers, even though he had changed his name, he had changed his religion, he kept those papers very smart. He makes the decision to go in the middle of the night and drive the 500 kilometers from Berlin to Dachau concentration camp, getting through the checkpoints by showing these papers and claiming that he was a loyal member of the Third Reich and that he was on official business. And um, this is the most harrowing and daring part of the memoir. Um, the mission was profoundly dangerous and put himself 
at death's risk every moment of it. So that is what the memoir is about. It's a true story. People are saying that they can't put it down uh, except for a bathroom break. I mean, seriously, because it's just an unbelievable true story. Yeah, yeah. So so the book is Escape from Dachau, a true story of survival, courage, and a daring escape in the face of unthinkable evil. And there you go. Yeah, and this is... Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, themes here as well that I'd like to uh, talk a bit more about that. The courage becomes obvious and clear. I mean, just the fact that you have that choice, to me, that's that's more than heroic. That's ultra heroic or uber heroic, if you like. And that yeah. is that is really like sacrificing your own health and safety and life, putting your life in danger to save a, a family member. So that's 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 wonderful. It's really hard to imagine being put in that position. Um, for those of us that are so deeply family oriented, we would absolutely do the same. But you have to remember that you might be signing your own death certificate. And that's what is so amazing about the choice that Emmanuel Rosenfeld, who was Max Emanuel, that is um, the amazing part of him deciding in moments. I mean, he didn't have days to make this decision. He really had moments to, to figure out, should I do this? Can I do this? Does it even make sense to do it? But but he fully decided that because he's driving yes. there for for a long yes. time, and it reminds me in the, in the in the Bible too. When I heard the story of uh, Abraham uh, wanting to to um, uh, sacrifice his son Isaac, that he has to go up to the mountain. So there's a lot of time for reflection. So this really Absolutely. is not on the moment. It's like he fully committed himself to that, and again, that's more than commendable. Yeah. So the one good thing I I want to mention is that when after my grandfather had been dragged away, my grandmother took my mom to the Catholic Church. And as you probably know, many, many Jewish children were were saved by the Catholic Church. Now, many of those parents were never able to come back. And so the children did end up continuing in their Catholic faith. And there are stories over and over again where, where adults my age who get on these sites like Ancestry.com or whatever learn much to their surprise about their Jewish ancestry and that they were German and that they you know, were adopted and are Catholic now, but that they learn at this stage in their life what their background was. But the thing that was good about that is when my grandfather was rescued, they knew where my mother was. They were able to drive back to Stuttgart and get my mom um, before leaving immediately still uh, to go to Luxembourg. Um, and um, many, many, as I said, many Jewish children were rescued, and the head of that Sisters of St. Joseph um, convent, the head of that, um, and the father, he's mentioned in the book, his name is in the book, he eventually was taken by the Nazis 
and perished. And if you if you look him up, uh, there's no reason given as to why this priest was executed. But you and I and most of us assume that they found out that he had been hiding Jewish children. Um, makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so my mom was basically saved by the Catholic Church. Yeah, one of the things I, I think is important to do for, for all of us, I would think, something that I've done, I did the Ancestry DNA test to, to find out about my background. And to my surprise, my great-great-great-grandfather was Jewish. And so he there was in Iran, and he converted to Islam. And I would have never found that, but there is, again, that connection. And I think a lot of people really need to look at their, we have the technology now to, to, to find out and realize that we are much more interconnected than we think we are. And there are surprises when we look back, especially also looking back, perhaps people of uh, white people who are the descendants from people of color who don't know that, you know? So I think it's think really important to take a look at that. Yeah. I think that you're right. And I think that a lot of people are doing that and are very surprised to mm -hmm. find out their real heritage. Yes. And that's uh, why I said that a lot of members of the Catholic Church, they are finding out that they actually were Jewish children, that when my mom was taken to the Catholic Church, uh, they taught her all the prayers, all the liturgy, and the Nazis would come into the Catholic convents. They would line the children up and they would question them. They would ask them to say the Hail Mary and this and that and whatever. And the children were well-trained and they knew what to say. And the Nazis left and left them alone. And so... Um, but again, a lot of those parents never came, were never, would never come back for their children. Um, but it is true that we do have the technology today to sort of research our background and, and see what our history is. Yeah, this also reminds me of a documentary that was about Italians in, in Rome, I believe, like close to the Vatican, where they, uh, they, they tried to uh, help the Jewish people and they, they hid them in their hospitals and they created a fake disease called Syndrome K. And so, so when the Nazis came and they didn't want to go there because they were afraid of catching it, which was supposedly this like a very contagious and lethal uh, disease, they think of COVID, but in fact was all fake because they wanted to save them. So the heroic efforts of many people who, who try, and this was a, a Catholic doctor as well, who was uh, involved with this. And I find that that also very fascinating that there are there are good people out there and also with, with, with Germans too. And I want to talk about uh, Germany because that's where I grew up. And I have a, a glimpse of I, a very, very a sense of what, what that feels like because um, I grew up there. I speak the language fluently. This was my, my background. But often I felt at odds because of where I come from, because I was born in a different place. I look different. And there is that of not being accepted. But the fact that you have to give up your religion, your identity, your name, change your name, all that, I find that horrendous just to try to fit in. And worse, because I okay was born in a different country, but they have lived there all their lives and previous lives and previous generations. So you are really part of that culture and to be rejected in that way must have been horrifying, awful, devastating. Well, in the 19, so my 
mother and my grandparents never spoke a word about mm-hmm. what happened to them. Mm-hmm. When they got here, they never spoke a word about it. The German government in the 60s had established a program called Return of the Lost Citizens. This program was uh, every city in Germany, the mayors, the head of civic affairs would send letters to uh, former German citizens and invite them to come back to Germany, all expenses paid, and they would take them wherever they wanted to go, any city, whatever they, wherever their family was, whatever. My mom got this letter every year and refused. She never said she never wanted to step foot on German soil again. But in the year 2000, my brother, my sister, and I talked her into doing this trip. They, she was allowed to bring one um, person with her. And she wrote back to the mayor of Stuttgart, a lovely, wonderful man who I'm still in touch with to this day. Oh, wonderful. And said, I will go if my daughter, my granddaughter, who was 16 at the time, can come as well so that three generations can dance on Hitler's grave. Now, of course, Hitler's not buried in Germany, but it was just philosophically, she wanted to feel like hey, look, three generations, you did not get rid of us. <laughs> she decided, they said yes. So the three of us headed there and it was an amazing trip. But the reason I bring it up is because at a number of the sessions, there were about 20 of us that were invited, that went that particular month. So it was a group of about 20, 25. They, the other people started opening up about what happened to their family, what happened, how they got all of that. And all of a sudden, my mom starts opening up to the to the head of civic affairs who was with us and the mayor of Stuttgart. And she starts opening up for the very first time. I had never heard her speak a word. And then when she got back after the trip, she wrote this memoir. Now, for reasons that I I might understand, but I'm not sure, she did not want us to do anything with what she wrote until she passed. And my mom passed in 2021, and my brother, sister, and I started putting everything together and got the book published. Now I understand, I think that she did not want people to ask her questions about it. She didn't want to keep going over it and over it and over it. So she wrote it, but then did not want us to publish it or do anything with it until after she passed. So, but, but when you talk about, there are a lot of good people. And I do want to also mention in Germany, everywhere where a synagogue was burned to the ground and my grandmother witnessed that um and the book talks about it um they have either put a memorial in that spot or they have actually rebuilt the synagogue to the exact specifications of what it was we went to my mom's synagogue we sat in the pew where my mom and my grandmother and my grandfather sat and of course there aren't any jews 
in Stuttgart anymore, but it's used as a cultural center for concerts or for educational sessions on various subjects. So it was really, I mean, I was very pleased and proud to see the effort. And of course, there are bad people everywhere and they're yes, still yeah. bad. You know, yes. you know, they're bad. But the effort that the German government made to really recognize what happened and to keep it in the forefront, I was I, I just felt and even to this day, I feel really good about the efforts they made to, to do that. And in, in general, when experiencing trauma, the, the 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 thing to do is really to open up to, which is the hardest thing to do. It's very difficult, but that's also the the path toward healing. And when when people open up to talk about that, when she had that experience, and it had a cumulative effect because others responded to it, and then this this beautiful memoir came together because of accepting that trip and so on. So we have like a, a chain reaction there towards uh, towards opening up towards healing. And one of the books that most fascinated me and philosophy and psychology that it's really um, I, I love and admire is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And I remember like when he's talking about these horrendous things, this unthinkable, unthinkable evil that you, you mentioned in your title that he was seeing and he describes them. But at the same time, he kept his humanity, he kept hope alive. And for him, I remember a part of the book, he said the toughest part was when he came out, because then he had to deal with all this trauma and everything he was going through. He wasn't on survival mode. And that when he was at his most depressed, too. But then he became he came up with this beautiful, magnificent philosophy that is so, so life affirming. And it is amazing how the worst atrocities and suffering can create something so sublime. And that leaves well, me speechless. Yeah. Well, that is amazing that you say that because many survivors went to their new countries, whether it was the United States or Argentina or Israel or wherever, wherever they went, and they rebuilt their lives mm -hmm. and they were successful and they started businesses and did whatever. My grandfather did not recover. He survived. My memory of my grandfather is him staring out the window, smoking his cigar and just staring out the window. Now in the book, it talks about some of the things that he went through. For example, when Dachau was established, it was not an extermination camp. It was a work camp where they made weapons and they, but so many prisoners died because the treatment was so awful. And my grandfather had mentioned once that he remembered, it's interesting because my sister remembered this, it just came to her and she was shocked. He was staring out the window as he always did. And he said, they made us get naked in the winter and go outside. And our shower was, they would hose us down with freezing cold water. And many prisoners died just from that. Mm -hmm. So, so many of the survivors did well after they were rescued, but many, including my grandfather, yes, he survived. My mom had a great life and was happy. And even my grandmother was just fine, but my grandfather was unable to put it out of his mind. He, he was just one of those that did not have the resilience that so many of the survivors that you hear about today had. 
he he just did not. Um, I can't even imagine some of the other horrific things he witnessed while in a concentration camp. I can't, you know, I did not see Schindler's List because it was too hard for me to go see it. But that is a good example of a, a really wonderful, beautiful human that would do anything possible to save people. That is such a good example. And there were other Schindlers that maybe did not get the recognition that they should get. But in the Washington DC Holocaust Museum, there's a whole wall of people that they refer to as the righteous, the wall of the righteous. And it lists names of people that risked their lives to save Jewish victims. Yeah, so, and there was a, at the beginning too, I remember there was this German doctor, I don't remember his name, but he, he found it suspicious that there were these deaths of, uh, of uh, prisoners and he found out they were all Jewish. And uh, and so he he started investigating and he even went further up to contact uh, higher authorities and he was an attorney, but uh, then he, I, I think he got killed. And and so, but, oh, but, yeah. but there, there are those who like really stand up for what's the right thing to do for the truth. And we see that. And uh, and there's much more, many more that we, we probably haven't heard about, but uh, they do uh, they do exist. It's important to That's keep right. that in mind. And and you know, I think that there have even been some books written about why do people become collaborators? Mm -hmm. Why do good people turn a blind eye to what's going on? And and as I said to you when we first met. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but that is a question that has always weighed heavy on me. Yeah. Why some people turn a blind eye. And, I, and so we, when we look at that, I think there's the opposite too, that we're capable of anything, of atrocities. And when we people say, I would never do that, we have Stanley Milgram's uh, experiment that really shocked everyone because there are these regular people, ordinary townsfolk, who are there, they think they're giving lethal doses of electroshocks to a person for a learning experiment, and they went through with it. And so this is very shocking. And this was not even a soldier. There was no threat. He didn't have a gun. He didn't put any pressure. He just said, that's the experiment. You need to continue. A guy in a white coat. So yeah. if that can happen, we have to realize that the potential of, of good and sublime good and the exception, again, uh, Viktor Frankl, people like him, but then also the rest of us who can fall uh, and uh, do horrible things and the, the good and the bad, the, the light, the bright and the darkness that exists in each of us. Right. Well, I hope that those of us that come across as being good people would never fall into that trap. Um, but... Again, like I said earlier, in every situation, in every country, there are good people and there are bad people. And you just have to hope that the good people stand up and say, let's band together and not and not tolerate this. And speak and, up, really like yeah, speak up. I think that's important. Up. And once, once yeah. a person does that, I, I'm sure others will join, but we, we really need to keep right. the ball rolling in the right direction, not in the wrong. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I, and I, and we talk about in the book, in the epilogue of the book, 
um, some of that and um, also our return to Stuttgart and Karlsheim uh, with my mom and how wonderful the people were um, that we met. And uh, we went into a school. Um, they had asked my mom to speak to, well, the group, to speak to these high school students about their experience. And one young woman um, probably 17, 16 or 17, stood up and said that she was in the kitchen with her grandmother cooking and her grandmother was looking out the window and she started to cry. And she said that I was a teacher. They came into my classroom. They grabbed a Jewish student and we heard gunfire. What was I to do? What was I to do? I still can't sleep thinking, what was I to do? So there are, this, this girl stood up and talked about her grandmother. And so I really do believe that in all cultures, in all societies, there are very good people and that hopefully will be the majority and we will stop these things from happening. And, um, I, and the, book yeah. does, the book does talk about that quite a bit. And, um, and so, yeah. Yeah, just to mention, I watched uh, Schindler's List when it came out. I was living in Germany at the time. And so there were two reactions, and uh, very few, not many of them, but one person got angry and left in the middle of the film. Another, uh, other people who stayed there, there, this woman next to me, she was in tears after. And so you get you get both kind of responses, but those again who stayed and watched the film and were moved by it and uh, opened their eyes and their hearts to that, I think that's really commendable. And that's why it's also so important to to talk about it. Such a, a wonderful book. Uh, 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 thank you, Susan Surveys, for uh, for talking about it, for promoting it. Yeah. This was written by your mother, right? Uh, her memoirs, Katja Muller Slonim. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And, correct. Um, that's my maiden. Wonderful. And it also has archival photos, right? Uh, so that yes. are used there. Oh, well. yes, it does. It has photos of their German passport that has the swastika and the eagle on the front. It has pictures of their synagogue before it was burned. It, there's a lot of archival photos in the book, um, actual photos. Uh, the Stuttgart newspaper uh, published every uh, week people that were kidnapped, Jews that were kidnapped. My grandfather's photo is, I actually have the actual um, newspaper. I own that paper with my grandfather's uh, photo in there. So there's a lot of really fascinating original photos. And I just, this was my, this is a picture of my grandmother and my grandfather taken in 1923. During the good times, the good days. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. thank you so much. I mean, I thank just, so I much. hope that everyone gets the book. It's mm -hmm. on Amazon and uh, I, I'm, you know, every, the reviews about the book are very, are, are just wonderful. Sounds They're fascinating. Really it's on my reading list for sure. So the book is uh, again, Escape from Dachau, a true story of survival, courage, and a daring escape in the face of unthinkable evil. Thank you so much, Susan Surveys, for doing this, Thank for doing this so interview, much. for promoting it, and Thank best of luck to you. 
Thank you so Thank much. You. Take care. Bye, everyone.